honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome back to the Urban Misfits Show. I am here today with Richie Burke, founder and CEO of Go Get It Marketing and Media. Uh, You started your business journey through even being a kid. What was your first kind of experience with that? Since, you know, you have your dad owning Trek bikes. What was really your first experience? Is that something that's really been in your life since day one? Yeah, it was in, it was in my life early. I think my first entrepreneurial thing was one of my friends lived on a golf course. So we'd go and take golf balls out of his yard that people hit and put them in a wagon and wheel it back near the course and resell them to golfers that were going around there. And then, um, so I did that. That was pretty cool. Um, sold wrapping paper door to door. I was probably, you know, six, seven, eight at that point in time. And then started a basketball league called the MBBL. So I was the commissioner of that, that probably had like six teams. We had playoffs. I tried to sell tickets to people and set up concessions to watch fourth graders play basketball. So I think some parents bought them out of sympathy yeah, and because the sport was amazing. So (laughs) we had that going. Um, I had like a pitch and putt and golf league. I started where I'd I'd go in to my friend's lawns and mow courses in there. Their parents loved me. So I'm sure. I'm sure. Did you put holes in their yards as well? (laughs) No, we used tennis balls. Okay. So that was, that was nice. So I didn't completely demolish them, but that, that's kind of how I got started. Those probably ages six, seven through 12 ish. And then I kind of took an entrepreneurial hiatus till yeah. starting go get it. I didn't, I wanted to be a pro golfer. I got, okay. got kind of good, but the wheels fell off the wagon there and had to kind of give that dream up when I was 19, 20 and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And then ended up starting go get it or GGMM out of school. I had a door-to-door sales job the summer before that, which was um, selling like discounted brewer ticket packages okay. for this kind of shady third-party pyramid Ooh. scheme company. Nice. But but it was the best learning experience I could have had. It was, um, you know, it was probably uh, 60, 70 hours a week, and wow. you'd get you'd, you'd go you'd go into the office at like seven seven thirty, work on your pitch. Then at nine, oh, they'd gosh. send you off to wherever the fuck Wisconsin and you yeah. knock on like a hundred, 150 businesses a day and try and sell these things. And you'd get 10 yeses and a lot of no's and it was straight commission, but that was really good. I bet that office went through like 120 employees that summer, no yeah, more I, than 15 in the office at a time. I can't but, imagine the turnover there is good. Right. Right. But I stuck it out. And I remember the first day, I think they sent me to like Bellevue, Wisconsin, or some wow. small town. And I remember being so nervous walking into this Shell gas station and like right. going up to the cashier and being like, hey, I'm stopping by on behalf of the Brewers. We're doing a promo in your area today. <laughs> I could probably recite the pitch, even right, though it's been yeah. like eight years. I yeah. gave it so many times, but that was um, so far out of my comfort zone trying to sell something to someone that was on the clock who I had no idea who they were, but 
kind of got over that fear through that summer and got good at it. And that was kind of how I started GG MM out of school. How, how was that learning for you? Like what, what roadblocks did you have? Because like, you know, you go into that shell gas station and you know that they don't want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to like, if you know, you don't approach people and, and solicit and be like, yo, I've got this great deal. We're selling brewers tickets. And like, what was the, how well, did you, well, actually, how did you actually, actually when they trained us at the company I was at, they said, um, cause a lot of these companies have no solicitation signs right. on the door. And they said a no solicitation sign is actually a welcome sign. <laughs> <laughs> they literally told us that wow. in training. That's how good that company was. But um, yeah, I think I think with anything um, in life, unfortunately, I think people's mind goes to worst case scenario and almost fight or flight comes yeah. in psychologically. And really like the worst thing that can happen is someone's going to say no. Right. You know trying again and again and then getting some success because that's ultimately what builds confidence you get better over time and i mean it's like you guys starting a company too when you start a company you get punched in the mouth so much it's rejection after rejection and you just need that one good break and you got to deliver and then you build off that and you keep keep going and moving forward so i think with anything you have to jump way out of your comfort zone then you get a little better you build some confidence you you always want to be reaching up and continuing to move though so it's, it's just different. But that was that was a very good learning experience because I was extremely nervous, you know, talking to people or even public speaking, um, things like that. And so it was just things myself as well as a lot of people had to had to get over. And I was lucky to be able to do that. Going back to having your dad own own Trek bicycles, what influence did he have on yourself as, as like a businessman? What what was something that he always taught you growing up? What was something that, you know, you kind of took from him? So it worked really hard. Yeah. It was, it was pretty basic. Um, got so much respect for him. He's just an extremely hardworking guy. What he had to go through to get that company where it's at. My grandpa started it back in 76. And unfortunately, the year I went to Marquette, which was 2008, I was excited because he was living in Milwaukee. He loved Milwaukee. And he had a minor heart complication and... Um, it was supposed to be fixed and then, you know, they did a minor surgery. It got worse and worse and he ended up passing away that year. I think I was, you know, 19 at the time, but he, you know, he started it and got it to a certain level. And my dad's been president since 97 ish. And he's just built such an amazing company, but just, I think when you're a kid, you just observe how hard your parents work and what your parents do. And he was, he was definitely hard on me in certain circumstances which i'm glad he was just making sure i you know i was busting my ass in certain things whether it was it was sports or you know just things like that so does he still have that same influence on you today yeah absolutely i he's yeah he's my biggest role model biggest mentor and i talk to him you know several times a week and yeah he's he's been awesome so he's been he's been yeah, supportive through this whenever I run into roadblocks, which is often, as I'm sure you yeah, guys know, he's a absolutely. he's a great guy to to call for that. So that's awesome that you have that to to fall back on and that you have that contact so close. I mean, you know, so many people worry about where their support system is and for you it's so close. What was the initial starting block of go get it? 
So we initially started Go Get It as a daily deal platform. Going back to the door to door sales, I was just I was running around Milwaukee and Madison for a little while, just trying to get these local businesses to run promos on our site. And it took a while to kind of get that off the ground. And in that first year and a half, we started at the end of 2011. So I guess first year we had over a hundred clients, 15,000 users. We got like top two in this success magazine startup contest, which was nice. And we were doing a lot of guerrilla marketing at the time too, a lot of social media marketing to get things off the ground. And it took off in a way and it kind of looked like it took off. But in reality, the company was losing money. It wasn't solving a real problem. It was in a very saturated market. It's tough to compete with the Groupons and living socials. And it's like, how do you separate yourself in that marketplace? And also it's such a high volume, low margin business that, yeah, we were generating income, but it wasn't covering our costs, even though our costs were pretty low at that point in time. So in 2012, we started running social media for some of our deal clients, shooting some videos for them, we're getting a good response. You know, there wasn't a ton of smaller companies doing that for small businesses at that point in time. So in 2013 pivoted into a marketing agency, which I can go into. Is kind yeah, of please. Mess. I mean, yeah. Keep, right. keep the chronological, chronological. Yeah. Going, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so I, I cut the deal site, which was hard because I think at that point in time and you guys who, you know, have been at this for six months, even I think, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but as an entrepreneur, we, we definitely always overvalue things that we create. And even though I'd only been working on it for a little over a year, you know, just pouring everything I had into it and really tying my whole self identity to that business. I think whether you're an athlete or an entrepreneur or, you know, someone chasing something big and you're almost known for that or successful for that, it's tough when you have to pull the plug and give something up, give something up and then jump into the unknown again. So it was, it was, even though it was the right choice and it was clear and we had a little momentum there, the pivot, you know, it had to be done. So did that. And then my background, I'm more of a sales and marketing guy. I'm not a coder. I'm not a videographer. I'm not a good writer. So I had to hire those positions and I hired these two people. One, um, she was bright, but she was showing up late, sent some nasty emails okay. behind my back to my other employee who forwarded them to me right away. And I had to let her go after about six weeks. And then the other guy who was older than me, he was like 35, ex-football player, always Jeez, amped up, ready to go. I called him the freight train. Okay. So freight train's doing fine. And we're working with all these small businesses and we, about three months in, we signed this car dealership and we're like, all right. Right. This is going to work. You yeah. know, we've, uh, they're paying us a few grand a month. We're going to shoot commercials that are actually going to be on TV. Like we're going to make yeah. it. Cause at that point you, you just don't know. Right. Um, right. so it's the morning of our first commercial shoot and freight trains, the video guy. And it's a Wednesday morning in March. I'm laying in bed and my phone starts vibrating at 4am. I pick it up. It's like, hello, this is the Milwaukee County jail. Will you accept this phone call? And I usually wouldn't answer that call at 4 a.m. Right. from an unknown number, but I, I think I was like all amped up and nervous for that shoot because it's, yeah. it's a big deal. You get your first big client like you got you got to deliver It's game on. So Absolutely. I'm all I barely slept that night. I was nervous. Um, <laughs> and then I get that phone call. So I run to jail. I pick him up. 
his car is towed with all the camera equipment in it. Oh no. We have to call them, reschedule the shoot. And I am running around the rest of the day scrambling. And it turned out he was on probation for some other things, which is a whole different lesson and uh, went back to jail. So those were the two people I pivoted with. Um, Luckily after that, I got some better people on and we got a good break out of New York. Uh, Started getting a bunch of work out there because my RA from Marquette and went to NYU and then started working for this guy named Alan Siegel, who's like giving a Ted talk. He actually designed the NBA logo back in the day and started Siegel and Gale, which is one of the biggest agencies. So um, we kind of went from, you know, the Waukesha County jail to, you know, we were in Madison Avenue on Madison Avenue in a penthouse working with them like, you know, four months later. So that was, that was cool. That was a good break. We needed that break at that point in time. And that's kind of snowballed into a lot of other projects around the country over the year. And then we've really evolved the company since then grown it pretty organically obviously evolved our service offerings and are going head first and kind of leading the charge on helping brands transition to audio and podcasting right now has had do you feel like helping like what was what was where did you how did you land on what you wanted to pivot to was it just being able to have more offerings or was it something specific that kind of triggered yeah let's do video yeah let's do podcasting so uh, i think a lot of entrepreneurs i, I mean having ideas are super easy, right? And then only the market is going to tell you whether it works or not. They say they have the moment you can sell your product at full price to a complete stranger is the moment you know you're onto something and you have a business because your friends and family hopefully are going to support you, right? They're going to, they're going to buy, they're They're definitely going to tell you it's a great idea. Always. And then, and then they might buy it. Some of them will (laughs) buy a hundred percent, tell you it's a great idea. 30% actually buy it and you know, there you have it. But if you can create something and sell it to a complete stranger who does not know you at all or you meet or whatever has, has no like feel good incentive to buy from you, then you know, you're onto something. So I think in the summer of 2012, we started running social media accounts. I mean, our first client was Oscars on Pierce, which is over by Potawatomi and we ran his Facebook account for free for a month. Okay. And then I think we charged him, you know, 500 a month or yeah. something like that. And it's like, cause you got to get in the door somewhere. Oh, and I think that's a problem, you know, some young people have is, oh, I don't want to undervalue myself. Yeah. Well, if you're not making any money, you don't have any value. So you got to like get in the game. Right. And if you don't show anything, it's hard to yeah. get in the game. So we were doing that. And then we had, you know, we had several clients who were paying us. And that was the point in time where, we wanted to pivot, but I think it was just, you know, you always want to find the white space in the market and where's that at. And I think providing social media and video services to small businesses in 2012 was white space. And we're working with all these small companies running deals for them and then realize none of them can market themselves. And, you know, with the economics of our company at that point in time, like that made sense to offer those services. And then we've kind of evolved it since then. Um, why we're diving heavily into audio now, if you fast forward to 2018 is I started the go-getters podcast a couple of years right. ago. We've got a great response. I saw what it did for our business and how it helped that grow. And I look at the trends of, you know, how a lot of content is moving into audio and video is not going away at all, no. but audio is trending upwards and upwards. And not many brands are utilizing this platform, even though that's where people are consuming content. 
Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, that seems like a good idea and I'm betting on it. And, you know, we've have a few paying clients right now. It's in the infancy. We, you know, started offering the service a few months ago. And I think, you know, time will tell if the gamble will pay off, but I'm just looking at the trend, looking where things are going and looking at, you know, how does GGMM stand out from the 103 other marketing agencies or whatever right. that number is in Milwaukee. Yeah. And look, I, I think every company, every especially large brand, every large brand and a lot of small to mid-sized brands will be creating their own podcasts or at least some form of audio content, whether it's a, you know, an Alexa skill or a podcast or whatever that may be in the next, you know, one to two to, to five years. I, I bet everyone right. will be doing it in five years, yeah, you know, absolutely. but, and I think every agency will be offering it in, you know, one, two, three years. But if we can win right now, I think we're going to be set up really well for the future. And I think all the companies that make the leap are going to have that first mover's advantage like, you know, we've experienced and like what you guys are experiencing with this show right now. Why do you think podcasting is is the new hit thing? Because really, audio has been around for forever. Radio has been around for forever. You know, you, you audio is not necessarily a new thing. I mean, video isn't either, but, you know, it's kind of been an audio to video sort of thing. So why is audio taken off, do you think? So I'll answer one snippet of your question, which is kind of why audio or why podcasting now over radio. And I think the answer to that is I think that what podcasting is doing to radio is the exact same thing that Netflix did to TV. We want to control the experience. Like five years ago or 10 years ago, you had to sit down on your couch at eight o'clock True. To watch The Office, or I like that show, yeah. uh, you know, to watch to watch The Office on NBC, or you weren't really going to see it, yeah. right? Or you'd have to pay for it, or what, whatever, um, or wait for the DVD to come out. Yeah. Now nobody watches any show at its scheduled time on TV. Like everyone just goes to Netflix because they want to watch it on their own time and they want to control that all their own experience. And that's why with podcasts, people want to consume that content on their own time when they want to, when they're going to the gym, when they're driving into work, opposed to, you know, randomly turning the dial on the radio and seeing what that station is talking about at that moment in time, they want to control their experience. So I think that's why, you know, people creating their own audio content is disrupting radio right now. And even, even a lot of radio shows are, you know, ESPN or Fox or CNBC, they're all taking their radio shows and moving them into podcast form. So I think we're just going to see less, you know, dollars towards radio advertising when companies actually figure it out, which usually takes longer than it should moved into the podcasting ecosystem just because that's how people are consuming content. Um, to go out podcasting. Yeah. Podcasts have been around what over a decade for sure. Well over a decade. I've been listening to them probably since 2011, 2012. I think, you know, why haven't they taken off sooner? I think, you know, everything starts somewhere in branches off somewhere to how Facebook and Instagram started with younger people. And now your grandma's on them. Um, I think people are consuming more and more audio content just strictly because the convenience aspect, I mean, you can't watch a video. You're not supposed to watch a video while you're driving, while you're at work. It's hard to do while you're working out. It's just, it makes a lot of sense on how people are consuming that, uh, that audio content. So I think that's, where a lot of it is going and the numbers are, the trends are going up too. you look at 
smart homes. And the other big point that I want to make is, yeah, we're addicted to convenience. We're also addicted to speed too. So it's like half of voice search, half of searches, Google searches are going to be voice in 2020, just because I can say, Hey Alexa, what's the weather? Having Amazon, that's, that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. But you look at that, asking Google what the weather is opposed to going to my phone and going to the weather app saves a solid 10 seconds. And we care about those 10 seconds. So that's why smart homes have gone from 1 million to 20 million households last year. And they're getting adopted faster than smart phones did in 08 when those were just coming out. So there's a lot of things trending there. I think the main thing is like, as humans, we're just addicted to speed and convenience and audio voice, whether that's podcasting or smart homes can, can give you that. And I think technology has a lot to play with that as well. Cause you know, you look at podcasts versus radio and you look at the fact that as radio, you can't just on demand a podcast from, you know, whoever wants to hear whatever you don't know what people want to listen to like every there's different genres of radio stations for a reason so that people can choose what they want and at the same rate as radio you don't have the on the go convenience right so like i mean i know for me i have the nhl app on my apple watch and my pocket is just you know a swift hand gesture down to my pocket to grab my phone and look but i still choose the convenience, that half-second convenience of going to my wrist. Exactly. What do you think is next for podcasting in terms of technology? That's, that's a good question. I think, I think just smart homes are... Because, again, they went from 1 to 20 million households last year, but yeah. that's still very low in the big scheme of things. I think podcasts are at you know 73 million people, but there's still room to grow there. So I think the technologies that we see coming now um, are going to continue to grow. And I think as far as the, let's not go podcasting because I think podcasting is what it is, right? right. It's, it's a medium. I don't think that's going to change. I think the way people are consuming them or communicating with these smart homes is going to change. I think the technologies that we're going to see is, you know, showers that come with these voice devices. So sure. when you're taking a shower, you can say, Hey, Google, play this podcast. Hey, Google, yeah. what's the weather? Hey, Google, put on hip hop, whatever, whatever you want. So I think that's going to be built into showers, cars. I think it'll be built into refrigerators in your toilet when you need new toilet paper. So you can yeah. just tell Amazon <laughs> you need that. I think that's, you know, five to 10 years down the road. I think, I think I know they're called, yeah, the smart speakers are called smart homes right now, but I think yeah. it's literally going to be an entire fucking smart home, right. not just the little thing. Like right. everything is going to be smart. I think that's the next voice technology. I definitely see that happening. Going back to starting Go Get It, who was your biggest mentor when you were getting started? Who was who was that person or group of people or instance that that really helped you when you needed it the most? I've had a lot. I already talked about my dad right. and kind of the role he's played. Ian Nabston, who was my roommate for several years, he connected me with so many people. I think um, I learned a lot of good things from him. Um, there's other people, John Mariano, who works at Johnson Bank right down the road. He helped connect me to a lot of people. And it was yeah. just good seeing a guy like that, the you know network that he's been able to build around the city and just how he goes about helping people and connecting people. Those were I mean, those were a few key guys, but there's, yeah, there's so many. What are some lessons that they taught you? 
I don't know where I got this from. It might've been a book, but I think, you know, the best definition of leadership or networking is helping the other person win. And I think I look at those two guys in the amount of value that they add to other people's lives and how that always kind of comes back around to them. And I got to watch that. And I think just applying that to, uh, you know, what I'm doing with GGMM or how I've gone about business or just, you know, doing things the right way too, and not being afraid to fail and not being afraid to mess up. And if you do, you know, just, you know, do the right thing and move forward and learn from it. And I think, I think those were definitely some key takeaways. And another thing, I, I think like, um, I think is, you know, driven people tend to be very hard on themselves very much and so. tend to kind of get caught up and wrapped up in little things and sometimes struggle to take that micro thing and say, Hey, big picture, you know, there's just a blip on the radar. Yeah. I know I've struggled with that most of my life. And I think there's a good book called don't sweat the small stuff because mostly everything is small stuff. Right. And, you know, um, I think over the years, not being so hard on myself or worrying about all the little things that are going on, just keeping the big picture in mind is something that, you know, I've learned. I mean, my dad's been, you know, hammered that on me through the years. And, you know, even, even a guy like Ian too, just kind of seeing how, um, I mean, he was the face of Milwaukee and built, you know, the largest young professional network in the country and then had a falling out with his partners and just how, you know, being his roommate and seeing firsthand how he handled that situation and how he's gotten back on his feet and he's doing amazing things now. Like that was, that was cool to see. And I learned a lot from him watching that. So those were, those are three, three things with a bunch of tangents in between. Absolutely. I love it. What's something that you learned during the first iteration of go get it that you still take you with you today? I think just, man, I, I hustled really hard in that period, which is really important. And I think, I think one of the main takeaways that, again, I think, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs go through this is people tend to underestimate the amount of time, effort, money, energy it's going to take to get from zero to one and one to two and two to three. And you think you have this great idea and especially millennials in the age of media gratification, like, man, I pounded on so many doors and showed up to so many events and, and I had to pivot the whole company. I mean, the first thing was a, I wouldn't call it a complete failure. You know, it was a great learning experience, but essentially, you know, it was, it was a failed business. We had to change the business. And, um, that was after a ton of you know, a lot of hard work that went into it. And I look at you guys too, and I admire what you guys are doing and the amount of success that you've had in six months. But, and I think a lot of people are seeing like, oh, these guys just started their business. They're lucky or whatever. But getting to know you and Q over the last, and Izzy as well, and just getting to know Brema, all your backstories and kind of the amount of hours that all of you collectively put in before this venture and all the failures and roadblocks you guys have had to overcome. It's, it's the same theme. Like you guys fucking busted your asses the last X amount of years. And you're finally like 
seeing it come to fruition now. And I think a lot of people give up too early. Like I think 2019 is going to be a huge year for us and we're going to be where we want to be and hopefully break out with this audio service and our new space is awesome. We're throwing a lot of good events. We've got good clients, but I didn't know what a marketing agency was when I pivoted into one. Like I had to figure that out. And I think, um, and you know, we're in our sixth year as an agency. So for me, graduating and starting the deal site door to door in 2011, it's taken, you know, 2019, it'll be a good eight years of going at it to like get to a point where I feel, Hey, we're real legit. Now we've got a great team, a great product. We're, we're leading the industry in this, in this area, which is, which eight years is in reality is not a super long time, but day after day after day after day, it feels like a really long time, especially when there's so many ups and downs and you don't see those immediate returns. Yeah. What would, what advice would you give to somebody who maybe is that has a business, but maybe isn't doing well with it, maybe doesn't like it and wants to pivot? What's like, is it a find your niche or something similar? Someone who has a business and isn't really enjoying it or liking it. Um, you know, I think, I think in business, especially when you're running one, I think the level of passion, enthusiasm, and excitement has to outweigh the shit that you go through. And if I think that's the case, if that's the case, I think you're going to be fine. Like when I was starting off and I had to get the guy out of jail and go through all that other stuff. And that was on top of all the other client stuff we had going on. I was so excited to have a company and had such a big dream of creating and turning into something that, yeah, that was really stressful, but I was able to push through it. So I think, I think that's really important. And I think if that's not the case, yeah, you have to pivot or you have to change something and that's fine. That's good. What you don't want is to stay doing something you're not passionate about and wasting time. Like I look back and there's a lot of things I would have done differently, but I don't really regret anything because it's what I wanted to be doing in the moment. And it was all good learning experiences and I'm better now because of it. Yeah, absolutely. What's next for go get it. You have the podcast, you have the audio situation. Is that something that you see staying in Milwaukee? Do you think that can branch out? Where do you see, what do you see what's next? I think the goal right now is to really bring it to, you know, I would say Wisconsin, Milwaukee, okay. Madison, Appleton, maybe Northern Illinois, that, that ratio and get a lot of these brands podcasting. That's a, that's a focus. Um, we're doing some cool things with react web apps right now. We do a lot of web design development too. So that's not part of the business I talk about as much, but we've got a very talented development team. So doing some things in that area. And then, I mean, yeah, the, the long-term goal is, I think it could be expandable. I think is more and more of these companies start doing audio. I think it might make sense to, you know, have little GGMM studios, you know, all around where we can record that content, get some audio engineers and, and get that. But we really need to win in Milwaukee before going there. Big time. What's your biggest piece of advice you tell people when they ask, Oh yeah, I was thinking about starting my podcast too. So starting a podcast, especially for, for an individual for an individual, it's a little different than a brand. I think brands have a big advantage because they already have this infrastructure, right? You go to a brand, they have 
thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of people on their email lists or social followers. So as a brand, it's really just talking to your stakeholders and your audience and finding out what content they want to hear. What's the optimal length? What podcasts are you listening to now? What do you listen to a podcast from us? What do you want to hear? And then kind of coming up with a good creative idea and executing a good show off of that. And brands are at scale pretty much episode one, just because they have the groundwork done. I think as an individual, which I would call go get the go getters podcast, more of an individual because we had virtually no following when we started it. We weren't, you know, we're not a, a big brand starting out. I think you got to do something unique. There's a lot of shows out there right now. So you got to find that white space in what you're passionate about. Um, and again, even if you're an individual, you probably have some following or some LinkedIn connections right. or some, something you, some, some base where like a brand, you can ask them what kind of content they want to hear and then get them involved and invested in your show. And then I think those guests are important and having a good, good launch strategy, a good cross promotion strategy, getting guests to promote it. That was a huge thing for us was chopping up the audio into social clips and, yep. and those were very shareable. So the launch is important, but there's so much clutter out there today. There's so much competition, whether you're posting on Instagram or LinkedIn video or Facebook or podcasts that you got to be unique. You got to give yeah. people a reason to follow you or it's just not going to happen and it's not sustainable. They may, they may click through and listen to one episode because people are intrigued by novelty, right? You are, you're always interested in what's new, but right. okay. So you're good for, you better kill it in those first five minutes and on that first episode. So, yeah. you know, I think those are just, some basic tips for people starting out and consistency. I know we've gone over that. A lot of people start and they think it's going to be a home run episode one and it usually never is. So then they throw in the towel and it's yeah. like, I look at, I look at you guys on LinkedIn video too. It's like yeah. you were pounding out videos every day, every especially day. for a long time before people started recognizing you and you guys started getting anywhere with it like consistency and some people pop off earlier than others but i think too many people try and play the short game and you need you need to play the short game hard but you can't be discouraged by it you need to right. be playing the long game or you need to play the long game but you got to move fast right. in the short yeah. game is what yeah, i'm trying absolutely. to say absolutely lastly what makes you a misfit what makes me a misfit Good question. I should have thought of that for the <laughs> you should, podcast. You should have seen it coming, man. I think. I think. I think a lot of things. I think. I think going back, growing up, I always, I always felt different. Even, even doing those little businesses around the neighborhood. I think I was. You know, I had to. I had to overcome a bunch of, um, you know, struggles and things growing up, and get get through those and. I mean, I think a lot, I think most entrepreneurs are misfits, right? They want to do something different. They want to change something. So they start a business. I think, I think those are things that make me a misfit. Where can people find your work? Um, GGMM.io is our website or just look up Richie Burke on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook can connect there at the go-getters on Instagram too. So Sounds good. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you.
Thank you so much to Richie for coming on the show today. This show is powered by Moral Code. Feel free to go to shop.moralcode.com and use code MKMISFITS for a pretty great discount. Any other links related or unrelated to the podcast will be around me. And until next time, I will see you on the internet.